Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Wrap. Hello, and welcome back to The Sex Wrap. You're here today with Spring and Andrew answering all of your questions about sex and sexual health and relationships and romance and love. And hi, Spring, how are you? I'm great. We are approaching my season, which is my favorite time of year when all the stores start to say, welcome spring, spring is here, spring is coming. Aww. Well, that's so nice. Um, there is no welcome Andrew, Andrew is coming. I think that would be a very <laughs> different kind of store. Um, <laughs> But how are, how are you today? How are things? Things are good. Things are good. It's pretty, pretty great to be alive right now. So pretty, pretty great. I have a funny story for everybody. It's about spring. So spring and I were talking right before we recorded today. Um, and spring got a new apartment, which is really exciting, mm. especially considering she lives in New York City, where getting apartments is a huge pain in the butt. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, and uh, I, I was asking her about like the the wonderful, joyful new thing that just happened. And then Spring said to me back. Well, I was really surprised that he was asking about this joyful thing about the apartment because I and my partner that are moving in, we named our apartment already. And I was like, did I tell you the name of our apartment? Is that why you're calling it this joyful thing? Um, and the name of our apartment is The Joy Project. And no, I had not told Andrew. He just knew that it was full of joy. And that is full so beautiful too. of joy. I love the name <laughs> Joy Project. And now I have to name my my condo. I don't, I don't know what it should be. Um, we'll have, when you're here next week, because spring is going to come visit me next week, uh, which is spring super is exciting. Coming. Spring is coming to Miami. I mean, spring, <laughs> spring is done. We're already moving into hot, wet summer. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll have to come up with a name for it then. Overcrowded? Too cluttered? I don't know. Has a cat? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but thank you for coming back and listening, uh, everybody. Uh, and today we're going to be answering a question um, that comes up pretty frequently when we start talking about sexual orientations. Um, because when we talk about sexual orientation, you know, we say like what it is and how it works, and we're going to do that today. But then there's the idea that sexual orientations can change over somebody's lifetime, right? Like things change, situations change, feelings change, but can it change multiple times over someone's and, life? Yeah, we're talking about fluidity here. And so um, a lot of you know that sexual orientation and gender identity are spectrums. There are a lot of different variations of how people can identify. And so along these lines, along these spectrums, along these like all these different axes, all these things that make up both gender and sexual orientation, that 
involves fluidity, that involves this ability for shifts, ability for change. And yeah, I think this is a great question. Like, can sexual orientation change over and over? Can someone identify as one way and then another and then another? Um, and yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why it's fluid, why it's fluid for people individually and why it's fluid more collectively and why it's fluid over time. So I think the easiest way for me to start is to talk about like, what are the major components of someone's sexual orientation? And then looking at those and see and like talking about how those can change. Um, and I often talk about like sexual orientation is your like part of it is this lizard brain, like the part of you when you see somebody or somebody's or bodies or whatever it is. And you're like, ha ha ha, I like that. I want to jump up. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, very, very French lizard brains today. Um, that's, that's typically what we call someone's like erotic orientation. The thing that gets you turned on, the thing that's visually stimulating, the thing that drives you to go onto a dating app and be rejected day after day, just so you can get closer to that object of your effect. Just kidding. You're all going to be accepted because we have an episode about dating apps that you should listen to where we give you some trips. But um, you have your lizard brain your erotic orientation. Um, on top of the erotic orientation, we have the words that we call ourselves. What is the identity that you use? Um, and we know that those words change a lot. Like I'm very jealous of today's young queer people because they have really good words to describe themselves. When I was coming out, you had straight or straight. And that was it. Like there were no <laughs> other accepted terms. Um, you know, like there's a lot of people who are bisexual for a little while, dipping their toes into and then jumping into gayness. I think there's a lot of people who like, you know, will say they're straight, will say they're bi, will say they're gay. So there's that pathway where we already are starting to see people use that identity, what word I use to describe myself changing, right? Um, so you have that lizard brain, and then you have uh, the words that you use to describe yourself. Um, and then... The third part is what you do. What are the actions that you're taking? Um, what are you doing with your body? What partners are you selecting? Um, so there's, there's the, there are those three things that sort of are around the definition of sexual orientation. And it actually gets much, much more complicated. We could talk about like freely, like behaviors with, if, with no restrictions or what you do in the past or what you plan to do in the future. And like it gets pretty complicated. But I think for today, do you think those three aspects are, are enough for us to describe change? Yeah. So sexual orientation is what are you aroused by? What behaviors are you engaging in? And then how do you identify? So those three pieces are making up what we're calling sexual orientation. And sometimes all three of those align as one sexual orientation, and sometimes they don't. And so that's another part where this fluidity comes in, right? Sometimes people might be aroused and turned on by one thing, but for a lot of reasons, and we're going to get into these, might not act or behave in the same ways that they're turned on by, um, and then might identify publicly and to friends and to family and to the world as something completely other, right? So like all of these things are not always in alignment. In a perfect world, they would be. And that's what we're going to start to talk about, these social things that impact how we identify and how we behave and what we can admit that we're actually attracted to. And, and I really like that you're talking about like the, the, the aspects surrounding like identity um, that impact how we reveal ourselves to the world or how we're comfortable chatting with other people. Um, and a lot of that is about self-awareness, right? Like 
Often we are situated in a world that's very heteronormative, where all of the identities that we see, our family, our communities on television and television shows and sports, like we mostly are fed through the media and through a lot of other channels, just one kind of identity, heterosexuality. Um, and that's the norm and that's the standard. And anything that's not that, we don't talk about. I mean, there's even laws being passed in a whole bunch of states that are trying to make it criminal to discuss anything that is not heterosexual. So if you're growing up in a context where that's the only thing that you've ever heard about, the only thing that you've ever seen, even if you have feelings, right? Like, oh, I'm really turned on by someone who looks like me. I'm really turned on by someone of the same sex. I'm turned on by that. Um, you don't have the language, right? You don't have the connection. You don't have the real understanding to use other labels. So even though you might have some urges, you might have some lizard brain attraction, you're not going to call yourself anything other than heterosexual because that's the only world that only word that you know in the world surrounding you to describe your sexual orientation. So... Let's talk about what actually impacts sexual orientation outside of us. So, of course, there are internal things. And um, I want to talk about the social things because I think that those social things have a big impact on the fluidity. My opinion is that the social things around us have a big impact on how fluid exactly our sexual orientation is. So... Let's talk about some of the pressures or some of the things. So there's this like heterosexism that's like rampant in American culture, right? Like saying that, um, assuming that people are heterosexual until proven otherwise, um, assuming that like that is, um, what when someone's going on a date, you know, if you don't know them, you just are automatically going to say like, Oh, how's the insert opposite gender here? Mm -hmm. And, and let's also say opposite gender is not a phrase that we endorse because no one is opposite. <laughs> anyway, so besides like this type of like just general attitude, like what are some of the things that impacts um, how people might express their sexual orientation in our society? I mean, I think a, a really uh, good one to start talking about is, is the family, like the social pressures of family, because like when we're born, there, there are social pressures before you're even born that you're going to act in a certain way and engage in the world in a certain way and have partners and get married in a certain way. You can look at a gender reveal party and you can see like, all right, this is a girl. And then that cake has tiaras and tutus and wedding rings and like, like the <laughs> expectations put on little kids. Um, and, and often I don't think parents mean it to be damaging, especially, you know, if their kid is not going to be heterosexual, but across the entire life from parents and grandparents and cousins and families, there are these expectations. Like the expectation for me was that I was going to grow up and I was going to marry a woman and I was going to produce many, many grandchildren for parents to hang out with and, and love and cuddle with. And uh, hint, I did not follow that path. Uh, but there was a lot of social pressure, right? There's social pressure my whole life. Like, this is the road that you're supposed to walk on. And my family would really kind of push me towards that. And anytime I deviated from that path, any gender non-standard non behavior, picking flowers, I would very quickly get shoved back onto that path saying, like, you need to be heterosexual, you need to be dating women, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and even now, like uh, at, at a holiday event a couple years ago, my my parent, my mom said, oh, well, have you ever thought about dating Jean again? I'm like, well, she was never my girlfriend. I went to one prom with her and that was in high school, which was more than a decade ago. Um, no, 
I mean, but that, that, that pressure is still there today for me to not be the gay person who I am. So your family is a huge source, can be a huge source of pressure. Mm-hmm. So family, um, I think a big one for a lot of people is religion. Um, and and even if you don't believe some of these like things that the religion that you've grown up with is teaching you about sexuality and about sexual orientation, there still can be some pressure there that like is kind of built into your nervous system, into your head, into like your subconscious from growing up hearing these messages, right? So like when we're talking about these pressures, we're not even talking about, it doesn't have to be something that someone's actively telling you in this moment. It could be all these past messages that have been fed to you, especially during the years when you are, your brain is still forming. So when you're young, when you are in childhood and adolescence, if you're hearing these messages over and over, they build up and they take root in your subconscious. And so, yeah, these things really impact us. And even if we might reject some of those ideas later on in our life, we have this pressure internally that has been put there, that has been planted there. And so religion can be a huge one that is actually impacting how people feel about their own identities and how they want to um, talk about it, how they want to behave, what they even allow themselves to fantasize about. Yeah, religion is a big pressure. Um, And I think education in schools are really big too, right? So your family is giving pressure, religion can provide pressure or pressure people into having a specific identity. And then schools, um, both what they teach you and what they leave out of history as well. Because if we look at what we learn about, we don't learn about gay history and we don't learn about gay heroes and we don't learn about gay people and lesbians doing great things in history. All of those stories are suppressed and shut down and we don't hear any of it. So we get from schools, once again, this really narrow vision. If you go to a school and you pick up like any kid's book, what's in it? Most of the time, it's a mommy and a daddy and some kids. They might have different races. They might be different ages. But almost all the time, schools are really pushing people to think that this is the only way that I can be. So there's social pressure pretty much everywhere we look in society, right? Religion and government and family and schools and friends and all around. And it's hard sometimes to escape from that pressure too. Like Spring said, it gets into your head and it's there. And unless you're doing a lot of work and self-reflection, you're going to probably stay and say like, well, I'm a straight person, might have some sex with Ben, but I'm still straight. So there can be that, you know, the, the disorientation of your sexual orientation when the things don't align because of that kind of social pressure surrounding it. Yeah, yeah. But we do need to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to be talking a little bit more about how it actually changes and what that looks like. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Sex Wrap. Today we are answering the question, can your sexual orientation change multiple time over the course of a person's life? Um, And just looking at that one piece, we've been talking almost exclusively about identity, Yes, if you just look at the identity, the words that people use to describe themselves, that can change. I have been Andrew. I have been heterosexual Andrew. Very few people believe that. I have been bisexual Andrew. Very few people believe that. And I've been quite gay Andrew and... Pretty much everybody believed that. But if I really think about myself, I probably wouldn't use the word gay. Like if I looked at the whole wealth of words surrounding sexual orientation, I would definitely choose some different words today if I was going to go back and relabel myself. So I would say like 
I'm still having my sexual orientation change and morph over my my lifespan. So like me personally, as the host of the show, like mine has changed multiple times. And the more I think about the self and the more I examine my attraction and my identity and my behavior, the more I can sort of hone in on exactly who I am. And I think that honing in on who you are is how we really see these changes over people's lifetimes, right? Like there's the road that we're expected to walk on, but as we reflect and experiment and really think about ourselves, we take a slightly different path and that path gets us to who we actually are. And I think that's that, like talking about that change over the lifetime, really moving towards our best possible sexual self. And, you know, sometimes people will, you know, experiment and then start to identify in a certain way. And then after experimenting, be like, oh, I like this more. I like this more. This feels like this is really me, you know? And so sometimes there's like transitional periods sometimes. And and when I say this, I'm, I want to be really clear that I am not saying that, you know, experimenting with one thing makes you a specific orientation, but that as people start to learn about themselves, they will try on different identities and see which one really fits for them, right? And that can be a process. And so as people are going through the process, there's this fluidity where you might be identifying in different ways. Um, and then, you know, sometimes there could be other impacts. So we're talking about like all these things that can impact, you know, the expression of your identity. And, you know, also things like trauma can impact that, right? So if you've experienced something really negative, so say um, you identify as bisexual or pansexual, liking people of multiple genders, and then you experience something really traumatic with a certain gender, you might then for a while or who knows how long be like, you know what, I don't want that gender in my life right now. So I'm going to identify in this way. And then that might shift and change as healing occurs also, right? So like, and it's not that um, this trauma is causing someone to be gay or to be straight or something, right? But it can definitely impact how we're feeling about our sexual self and it can impact how we're identifying and that might be temporarily it might be more long term and these things are highly individual and so yes the external world our environment our experiences definitely impact how we identify yeah i, I think another really good example that's happening more and more frequently um, is people discovering asexuality Right. So there's this assumption that everybody is sexual, like everybody's going to be heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, like you're going to be gay or straight, something in there. Um, and people go down that path and they experiment with, with it. And over time, they realize, you know what? My lizard brain says that I'm not really into any of this and I'm not interested in this kind of sexual relationship. Um and instead, I am now an asexual person. Uh, so they've gone from heterosexual to asexual. But then there are also many people who are asexual who end up in relationships and have different kinds of romance and intimacy. And they might change that label once again later in life. Um, and of course, in the middle of an episode, I have a story. Um, I have friends <laughs> who are both presented as both presented as lesbians and they had been together a long time. And then one of them, you know, through a lot of introspection and thinking about their life said, you know, I'm a, I'm a trans man. I am not a woman. Um, and they stayed together through this whole process and both of their sexual orientations changed. So the person who's not trans went from 
her a lesbian identity to a queer identity. So she calls herself queer now, no longer lesbian because she's not dating a woman and still madly in love with their partner. The other person went from a lesbian identity um, and went through, you know, gender conf- or gender affirming care and sexual reassignments, all of those various things, um, and is now heterosexually oriented as a straight male dating a woman complicated story, but there are two people uh, and they both had pretty significant changes over their lifespans um, from, you know, heterosexual or heterosexual identities to lesbian identities. And now one of them has a queer identity and that's because they still love each other and want to be with each other and have a kid with each other. Um, But complex when we start looking at how our sexual orientations can change over our lifespans, the language that we use, the things that we're attracted to and the behaviors that we engage in. Um, there's one more big area. You mentioned it a minute ago, and I think it's important to talk about uh, about sexual exploration, right? And sexual exploration happens in a world with all of these social pressures, right? So people will try something for a little while, and often they're terrified that if someone else finds out that they're going to be called gay forever or bisexual or lesbian forever, um, if you try something and it's not for you, it does not change your sexual orientation. It means that you experimented with it and you're like, oh, uh, no. Right. And it's good that you tried and good that experimented. You went to the buffet, you tasted the things and you decided what you like and what you didn't like. I think in a perfect world, if we didn't have all of those social pressures from family and church and media and schools and government, we would have many more people sampling the buffet and finding out what exactly they like and their sexual orientation would continue to change over their lifespan. But just because you engage in a behavior just because you've sampled something off the buffet, it does not define what your sexual orientation is. And I, I think a really easy comparison is like, say I identify as a vegetarian and I never eat any meat. And then I'm at my mom's house and the only thing to eat there is this barbecue beef she made, which I love. <laughs> is this, so is this a story it. from personal experience perhaps? <laughs> And so I eat some barbecue beef. It doesn't mean I'm not a vegetarian anymore, right? It doesn't mean I'm not plant-based anymore because I ate this food when I'm at my mom's house, right? And I think that this is something that people, you know, maybe you have more experience in this realm. You can think about it in terms of food. Like, yes, I'm still a vegetarian. I'm still like all the time choosing that. And that is like how I identify and that's how I'll talk about myself. And I eat this food very occasionally because like there's also built in things around that, right? There's this social thing. There's this familial thing. There's this like history of this like food that my mom makes for me. And so all of these things, it's the same idea that we're talking about here. There's all of these pressures that actually impact us into some of our decisions. And so if you're engaging in a behavior, you're choosing something else that doesn't change every bit of who you are and how you identify. Um, And it also can, you could also then say like, actually, I really like this. (laughs) And sexual orientation is so complex that for some people, they didn't try anything They weren't thinking about anything. They weren't reflecting on anything. They didn't experience anything new. There was no trauma. And one day they're just like, oh, well, I think I'm bisexual. Like like some people, like 
it's different for every person. Sexual orientation is sort of like a fingerprint where for everyone it looks a little bit different. It feels a little bit different. The process that gets you to where you are today looks a little bit different. That journey is different for everybody. Um, so there is no right or wrong, right? And, and, and if we get back to that question, can it change multiple times? I mean, absolutely, it can change many times. And for some people, it never changes at all. And for some people, it would change if we were in a world that wouldn't judge them quite as much, like if they felt like they had more freedom. Um, so the answer is yes, 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 maybe yes, and it's complicated. <laughs> the answer is it's all fluid. And the more that you kind of like trust that answer, like that our orientation, our identity, like all of these aspects of ourselves are fluid. And if you can just trust that, like trust that there will be shifts, there will be changes. And like all of these things are externally are impacting us and they make up who we are in our lives. And, and as things shift over time, like that's okay. And that's normal and that's natural. And so like embrace the fluidity and embrace like what might come next. Cause we don't know. We don't know. Um, and like I said, we're only alive for a little while. Oh, that was the last episode. We're talking about masturbation. <laughs> Everybody should masturbate. But also um, reflect a little bit on your life and your expectations and what you like and what you what you might like. And, and Spring and I are not say, saying like run out there and experiment, but run out, run, run, run out there in your head and think a little bit about how you got to where you are today. And if you're happy in that space, congratulations. We support you in that. And if you're not exactly happy or if you're looking for something different, Take, Try it. Yeah, flow. You can do it. You're flexible. Flow in that fluidity. Flow in that fluidity. I was, I was looking for fluidity and flow came to mind. The close. <laughs> All right. So um, any final thoughts before we close out for today? I mean, yeah, I just want to, like, I actually really like what we just say, that flow and that fluidity. It gave me this, like, image of, like, you know, um, being on a surfboard or, like, being on a big floaty and, like, you know, just being a little bit more, like, um, allowing and giving ourselves permission to um, experience what we want to experience and to feel what we want to feel and to um, allow that for ourselves. Yeah. And make sure you allow it for other people too. When they're doing that exploration, try to be that good supportive friend who's a nice springboard, a nice like place for them to have open, honest, real conversations about like what's going on with their fluidity and their flow. All right. I'll be your springboard. Oh, oh. Uh, all right. No joke today. All right. So uh, if you have any follow up questions about anything that we talked about today or any other questions about sex, sexual health, relationships, we would love to hear from you. You can email us. Uh, our email is thesexwrap at gmail.com. That's rap with a W, W A R P. Um, you can call us at 413. You just said W A R P. You just spelled warp, sex warp. That is W R A P. I love this. This is, this is the first time Andrew has ever misspelled a word in his life, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh. You can call us at 413 I Warp It. And you should definitely <laughs> check out our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Sex Warp. Just kidding. It's Sex Rap, W R A B. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just too. Af Music for this episode provided by the ever elusive and mysterious. Breakmaster Cylinder.
the Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.